From WHQR Public Media, this is The Newsroom. I'm Ben Schachman, and thanks for joining us for special elections coverage of the Wilmington City Council and mayoral race. Later on today's show, my colleague Kelly Kinoyer will interview incumbent candidate Charlie Rivenbark. But right now, my guest is Philip White, candidate for Wilmington City Council. To start, tell us a little about yourself. Uh, where do you live? What do you do for a living? Uh, past political experience, all that good stuff. Uh, first of all, thanks for having me, Ben. Um, it's great to you know, be running to represent the citizens of Wilmington. Uh, but no, I'm from the area originally. I was born and raised in a small town in Columbus County called Whiteville. I'm pretty sure most of you are familiar with it. Um, but past political experience, uh, I serve on or ha- serve and have served on a few different boards. Uh, currently, I sit on the Parks Conservancy Board of Directors for the county and in the past have served on the New Hanover County Long-Term Health Care Community Action Committee. That's a mouthful, so you kind of have to bob your head when you say it. Um, professionally, I am a business analyst uh, by trade. Uh, I spent the past five years working for a mattress firm, but I'm actually taking a sabbatical right now um, just to kind of focus on the campaign. All right, let's get into the policies. First up, affordable housing. It's, it's been a hot topic for a long time. Um, <laughs> this is actually part of the frustration some people have. What would your approach to the affordable housing crisis be? Yeah, I mean, that's an excellent question because you're right. As Wilmington has seen you know, such an influx of our population, of course, we're going to see just a complete dissolving, if there was much affordable housing to begin with, of the stock that we actually had. Uh, one thing that I always kind of like to point out to people, because I know we hear a lot of terms thrown around all the time, one that we hear all the time is you know, affordable housing. Uh, so I always kind of like to break things down to people, and I know you know this, but what the term affordable housing means it, according to you know the governmental definition, is that your mortgage, your insurance, all of you know the bills associated with that should exceed no more than thirty percent of your income. So what's affordable for you may not be affordable for me, or vice versa. Uh, that's one of those things that, like I said, with that term, I don't think the general population really has a good idea of kind of what we're speaking about when we say that. Uh, but it is a huge issue in Wilmington. I think in the past we've kind of looked at one-off projects. Uh, here and there. This will, you know, incorporate five units. This will, you know, I believe that we have to, moving forward, consider every single option on the table. Every viable option needs to be a go, Uh, whether we're talking about the land that used to be or is the flea market off of Carolina Beach Road. Um, I think that's something that needs to be looked into. I have issues with that property, but we have to better leverage our relationships with developers. We have to hold them to task, and we have to, as I said, look at every viable option on the table. The days of being able to do one or two things at a time, I think, have passed. A related issue, uh, and these often come up in tandem, is the future of public transportation in Wilmington. (laughs) It's a thorny one. Um, So let's start with this. Do you support the proposed quarter-cent sales tax to provide uh, funding for WAVE and other transit projects? And then you can sort of riff on it from there. Yeah. Um, So I absolutely support that 100%. Uh, As I said, I'm a business analyst by trade. I'm a data numbers and facts guy. There's so many holes in our public transit. Uh, Public transit's actually how I kind of originally came into the political sphere. Uh, You and I have spoken about this before, but I am a person in recovery. Uh, It's been almost three years now, but there was a time when I didn't have a driver's license. I was personally dependent on the, our public transit system to get to work for every aspect of my life. So that gave me a headfirst experience 
and the holes in it. Looking at the available data on it, a lot of things have to change. One thing that I take issue with is it's been the belief kind of of the Wave Transit Board and City Council, County Commissioners in the past that we absolutely have to expand our choice ridership. And that is 100% true. I take no issue with that. However, my concern comes with what I feel is neglecting their core dependent ridership in order to do that. An example of which would be, you know, when you drive through town, in a lot of areas, you'll see the super nice covered bus stops in your more affluent areas. But rarely do you see them in the areas where areas of our city where the ridership there is dependent on it. I think that's just not the proper way to run a public service. I think, you know, yes, of course, they're right about that. But your key focus, first of all, should be locking down and making sure that group of people is taken care of initially before you work to expand. You know, to me, that's putting the cart before the horse. Another major issue we've heard about a lot over the last couple of years is public safety, which is Mm -hmm. another way of saying the Wilmington Police Department. Mm Mm-hmm. So what, if anything, would you change about WPD? And that, you know, could be increasing, decreasing, or restructuring funding. And also, what's your sense, and are you happy with how Chief Williams has done? Um, First of all, I'm very happy with uh, how Chief Williams has operated, so far, at least. Uh, I am one of those people, I don't believe that anyone is off the table as far as criticism, myself included. I believe that you get into public service because you genuinely want to do better, but accountability should be a key aspect of that. So as soon as some of, no, not as soon as, if I do have issues with how the chief is operating, I will be the first person to address it to him, you know, and to bring it up. But you're absolutely right. I mean, as far as public safety uh, goes in the city, we, considering our history and law enforcement uh, involvement in the massacre of 1898, I think that's always going to be an issue that we deal with in Wilmington. However, I do believe that hiring Chief Williams and supporting him is one good step that we've taken. I also believe that we have to get ahead of certain things. I'll give you an example. There's a bill in the North Carolina General Assembly right now in the House called uh, HB7. I almost said HB2. That's a whole different thing. Uh, HB7. And what that bill will do uh, is it will force every municipality in the state to develop their own whistleblower program. Uh, The fact that that's not already a thing kind of baffles me, but I'm totally in favor of that. I'm always in favor of increased transparency, accountability, and visibility. And I think, you know, Wilmington should lead the way on that. Real quick, I wanted to uh, tap back public transit real quick. Mm -hmm. Um, So in terms of the direction the sort of ad hoc committee was going over the last year uh, with the sales tax, specifically to that, is that something you'd be in favor of moving forward with or would you take a different approach? Um, Well, I don't know. Um, I would look at the sales tax initially um, and then if additional steps need to be taken, then that's what needs to happen. What I really believe needs to happen, not only in our city, but I mean across the country, is we need to start re-envisioning the way that we look at public transit. When it was first envisioned in this country, it was seen as a public service, much like the fire department or a police department. No one ever asks how much money did the fire department make this year because it's seen as a public service and something worthwhile to put money into. And I think that's the way that we should see public transit because that's the way it was designed to be seen. Moving on to something everyone agrees about, uh, development. (laughs) 
How much influence or constraint do you think the city should have over development? And I and I also kind of want to ask about how you feel about the recent slew of public-private projects like River Place, the Live Nation venue, and uh, the future potential projects like what's being discussed for the Gateway projects. And for people who don't know, those are the um, the properties assembled at the north side of Wilmington where MLK becomes third. Mm-hmm. Um, so first of all, I mean, the sad reality of the truth is when I first started running for city council, I told people, I'm going to give you the truth, good, bad, or ugly. That's the promise I'll always make. As far as development goes, I know we would all love for our property tax bill to be $5 and to not have a neighbor for a mile in any direction. Uh, however, that's not the reality of the situation that we're in. Uh, we're going to be forced to move to a more density-oriented sort of development. That's the only feasible way that we can still entertain the increase in population that we're seeing and are going to continue to see and still seriously have conversations about things like affordable housing. Uh, One of my big qualms is when you hear elected officials speak about the two things as completely separate issues when I don't see that they could be any more intertwined. So I believe the city council has a direct role on that. Uh, As you know, one of the most basic things that they do is look at rezoning requests um, and kind of guide the path that development should take in this city. I think that the city should look a lot more um, and use the tool of conditional zoning in their, uh, well, they already have it in their quiver, but pull that bow, uh, that arrow out a lot more often. It's something that I just think not only benefits the city and the residents of Wilmington, but I think it also benefits the owners of the property. Because when you're looking at different things, that also protects your vested interest in that property and can make sure that it's not, you know, something else unconditionally doesn't happen to it down the road. And in, the ter- in terms of the public-private projects. Oh, yeah. Sorry. Um, no, no, it's, it's, a, it's a huge question, so we can take it in chunks. Um, <laughs> how do you feel about the, the city sort of being effectively a developer in, on, unto itself? Uh, speaking in generalities, I am not a fan. Uh, I do believe in the city owning property, uh, 100%. Actually, I have an issue with what seems like at a city level and a county level, it seems like our governments have been divesting of all city and county owned property, uh, just all over the county. So I'm not a fan of that. However, when you're looking at public-private partnerships, I'm always a bit leery of anytime taxpayer monies are being used to benefit specifically private enterprise. Um, if they're being done in a way that can generate livable jobs with livable wages or to increase the economy in a certain way, then you know I have to look at it on a case-by-case basis. But as I said, speaking generally and broadly, I am not a fan. Then there's the, the other kind of development, uh, economic development. Mm-hmm. What are your thoughts on that? Uh, I believe that we need to completely refocus. Uh, it's been kind of the direction of the Wilmington City Council for decades that we need to look at large-scale employers, uh, sort of large corporations coming into the area. Politically, they come with their own name recognition. It's good in the press uh, kind of thing, so it's beneficial to the politicians as well. I don't really see that, in my opinion, a lot of those corporations add a lot of value to our city and to our area. I will take a small locally-owned business over a corporation, you know, a large-scale corporation any day of the week. 
So what I believe we need to be doing, I actually have a three-phase plan involving specifically that I'd like to refocus a large percentage of uh, the tax incentives that we give out annually to support and foster relationships with our locally owned small businesses. However, to be brutally honest, when you're talking about the difference between a large corporation and a small business, there's going to be a huge education gap there. You know, the large corporation has a team of attorneys who handle every single thing that may pop up, whereas a locally owned small business, I speak with business owners all the time who may be or who are absolutely amazing at cutting hair or, you know, whatever it is they do. But as far as the back end and the business aspect of things, don't even know that, you know, the benefits of establishing themselves as an LLC or, you know, any sort of way to protect their assets as a small business owner. So I think the city also needs to partner with Cape Fear, with other organizations to offer more programs to educate our small business owners. That's not only going to be beneficial for our economy, but it's also going to be beneficial to the taxpayers because we are going to have a much higher rate of failure, let's be brutally honest, when we're talking about giving tax incentives to small business owners. If we can educate them on things they may or may not, you know, hopefully do not know about the ways to most effectively run a business, then what we're automatically doing there is making the program more beneficial to the taxpayers directly. All right, we need to take a quick break, but when we come back, we'll have more questions for Philip White, a candidate for the City of Wilmington Council. You're listening to the Newsroom special election coverage. Stay with us. All right, welcome back. I'm talking with my guest, Philip White. He's a candidate for Wilmington City Council. This is kind of a niche question, but it's important, especially if you've been impacted by it, and that is stormwater. Mm -hmm. um, obviously, flooding is a major problem during a hurricane, but it seems to happen even after an afternoon you know, thunder shower. So what are your thoughts on you know, possible infrastructure solutions to handle this problem? Yeah, I mean, once again, I mean, this is an excellent question. You know, we're looking at New Hanover County's the what second smallest county in the state. Uh, such a huge percentage of the land in Wilmington is paved with here's a fun political word: non-permeable road solutions, uh, meaning they increase stormwater runoff and lead to flooding everywhere. Um, of course, overdevelopment is also an aspect of that as well. One thing that I believe we need to be looking at is. Are we guiding people in whatever way you know we need to to look into other solutions such as non or excuse me actual permeable road solutions? I think I said that before, but those are non-permeable. Uh, what that means is when it rains, will the water go through the asphalt and then actually back down to the water table, reducing it from turning into stormwater? Uh, there's a bar that's going to be opening a few blocks away from my home. And actually yesterday we were driving by and my better half was a little weirded out by me because I was just far too tickled that they were putting in a permeable uh, solution as their parking lot. Because I think things like that are important. As far as flooding and hurricanes, I think as a city we for the past have operated largely in just a reactionary manner. Uh, I think I see a lot of political kind of grandstanding and gesturing and not really much action. 
climate change is real, whether you believe in it or not. We are in Hurricane Alley. They're going to come more frequently and they're going to be worse. So what I think we need to do is take active steps, not just to mitigate the damage, but to see what can we do to mitigate the flooding prior to hurricanes. Uh, kind of an example without throwing anyone under the bus of the sort of things that I'm talking about with generally just releasing general platitudes and we're taking action. The city released a plan, and now that I'm trying to think of the name of it, it will escape me, uh, a few months back <clears throat> on renewable energy and you know transitioning the city. The, all the city council members signed it. I believe it was 161, maybe 164 pages. I read the entire thing. Um, found out afterwards that several of the city council members hadn't even read it. But uh, the city made a promise that by the year 2050, all of their vehicles will be electric. That makes no logical sense to me because when you're looking at U.S. auto manufacturers, uh, all of them, with the exception, I believe, of Dodge, have committed to transitioning their, all of their models to fully electric by 2035 at the latest. I believe Ford is 2026, if I'm not mistaken. I could be wrong on that one, but I know everyone the latest is 2035. So my question is, who are we buying cars for from for 15 years if you're not going to be able to buy an internal combustion engine, you know, except specifically from one company? I think that just reeks of general platitudes to say you have a plan, and that's just not acceptable. So you're, you're already answering this question, um, <laughs> so you're ahead of the curve here. But what role should city council play in addressing environmental concerns like pollution or climate change or resiliency, whatever phrase you want to use for it? Yeah. Um, I'll just kind of answer that question with you know, a simple thought. If we don't take action on it, I don't believe in 50, 100 years there'll be a city that needs a council. I mean, that's about the most simple way I know how to put it. So I believe that they not only have a role to play in it, but I believe that we have an obligation as a council to look out for our residents and to do everything that's within the powers granted to city councils to mitigate these effects. All right. Last actual policy question. <laughs> Social justice, diversity, equity, inclusivity. Do you think the city should do more? do less? Uh, are there specific issues you'd like to see the city focus on? Yeah. Um, so equity is actually one of the kind of cornerstones of my campaign. Whether I'm speaking about that uh, racially, from a socioeconomic perspective, environmentally, you know, it encapsulates a lot of things. I am sadly uh, the only candidate who actually has a plan for racial restitution in our city. Uh, there's kind of a lot of things that are said about that. But what I know is, according to statistics from the National, I think it's National, Bureau, National Bureau of Labor, uh, black-owned businesses only encapsulate 6% of the businesses in our country. That is completely unacceptable. Um, but I think that also comes from a place, like we spoke of before, of just a gap in kind of that education base on how the best ways to run a business from the back end are, you know, kind of things. So that's one aspect of my plan for racial restitution. Uh, I'm talking about things like putting a property tax moratorium on single family homes with primary residents. 
in historically black neighborhoods. I believe that is a good way to begin to assist uh, that community in helping them to establish generational wealth. Uh, that's something that has really, in a large part, never been accessible to black residents uh, because of our history, not only as a city, but as a country. And I believe that we have an obligation, whether we're speaking racially or based off of gender, whatever the situation is, when we're speaking about how we can most effectively lead, I believe you need to look at the people that need assistance and say, how can we help to get everyone to a level that's going to be most beneficial, not only for them or any specific group, but get them to a level where now it's better for everyone. All right. Last thing, closing thoughts. Mm -hmm. uh, anything we didn't touch on that you want to touch on? And in general, your vision for Wilmington. Yeah. Um, so I might kind of take that in a different order if that's all right with you. Now, my general vision for Wilmington is simple. Uh, one thing that I tell people all the time and have on this campaign is, yes, I 100% not only want and need your support, but I think we need to do a few things with that. One, I am not a big fan of the kind of people that will put politicians up on a pedestal. I think out of all the groups of human beings on earth, probably the last people that need to be turned into demigods or demagogues or given, you know, that sort of belief around them are politicians. I am no different than anyone else, and I don't want to be treated as anyone else. I feel like when you put people up on a pedestal, it becomes much harder to hold them accountable, which leads me to my second point. I always tell people getting me elected is just the first part of this. What I need for you to do is once I become a member of the Wilmington City Council, I need for you to hold me accountable. Now, that doesn't mean, you know, writing profanity-laced emails every day, but, I mean, if it makes you feel better, it's not going to hurt my feelings. But that means holding me to task and holding me to the things that I've said because, to me, that's how you accomplish effective leadership. And I think that's how we build a better Wilmington from a leadership perspective. Uh, in all honesty, I don't think that the city council or even the county commissioners are what make a city great or a county great. I think it's our environment, and most importantly, I think it's our people. And the, our people are the biggest reason why I've stayed in Wilmington, you know, for a huge chunk of my life and why I consider it to be my home. I love my house, but if it weren't for my significant other, I probably might not live there. You know, it's those relationships with people that I think build a community. And that's why whenever I'm on social media or when I'm speaking to people, I always refer to all of us as neighbors because we are. Well, let's leave it there. Uh, Philip White, candidate for Wilmington City Council, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for having me. All right. Well, after the break, WHQR reporter Kelly Kinoyer interviews Charlie Rivenbark. You're listening to special elections coverage on The Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to the newsroom. I'm Ben Shockman, and you're listening to special elections coverage from WHQR Public Media. Coming up now, my colleague Kelly Kinoyer interviews incumbent candidate for Wilmington City Council, Charlie Rivenbark.
I'm here with Charlie Rivenbark. Do you want to just start by telling us a little bit about yourself and your background? Sure. Born here in 1948, raised here. I was, I've been here all my life except for the time that I was in the Army. I was in the United States Army in 1969 and uh, served a year tour in Vietnam in the infantry. Came home, was heading to school, and got involved in a pretty successful business and decided I didn't need college and uh, then got into a lot of other things. And uh, I'm presently engaged for the last 35 years in in the real estate business. Um, I have two grown sons, uh, Chad and Travis, and a beautiful granddaughter named Molly, who's four and a half, and a grandson, 15 and a half, named Grayson. And uh, I've served on the city council from 1993 until 2001. And then I took a, a time off, and I was an officer on the Azalea Festival. And uh, in 2007, I was president. And then in 2009, when I had the time back, I was encouraged to run again for council, and I did. And uh, I've been on council since 2009 to the present. So I've got 20 years under my belt, and um, I'm seeking another term. And uh, I promise everybody that this will be my last one if I'm fortunate enough to get reelected. So let's get into the issues. So I wanted to start with affordable housing. It's kind of the hot topic of the Cape Fear region right now. Uh, So what do you think should be done about the affordable housing crisis? Well, first of all, a lot of people, uh, they throw out the term affordable housing and workforce housing, and there there is a difference. one goes down to about 80% of the area median income. That would be your workforce housing, and, and affordable housing delves deeper than that. And that's the one that, well, both are critical. Uh, we have people here that are fully engaged in their, their career and can't afford to live in Wilmington. Those are the workforce housing stock that we need. Affordable housing is critical as well. The city has always supported our uh, rental rehab loans, our uh, housing opportunity loans, low interest, some not payable, not repayable. And this year we have put in our budget over $5 million into those two programs. The thing that really makes me feel confident that we're going to do something this year, Kelly, is the fact that the city and the county have come together. We formed an ad hoc committee, not with Joe Blow, on it. We've put the people on that committee that are in the trenches every day dealing with homeless and affordable housing. And I serve on that committee as well as a council person. And it all comes down to funding and money. The county is going to float a $50 million bond in the 2022 primary, probably in March. The city can't do that. The county has to do that. But we're doing this together And we're somewhere around 1,600 homes uh, short. And we hope that this $50 million is going to go a long ways toward alleviating some of that problem. The other thing that the city is doing, we just completed our our, our new land development code, and we have put some flexibility in there whereby we can give developers to give them some flexibility whereby they can get more density in return for putting homes out there at the 50 to 60% AMI. So those are the things that, that are happening now. At the last meeting, I said, I've been, I've been to these meetings and these committees for 20 years, and we all feel good about it, and nothing ever gets done. This time I feel extremely confident, and I'm not going to let it go 
until something positive comes out of the ground. And I have a brother that serves on the county commission, and he is just as committed to this as I am. So we're going to we're going to be the squeaky wheel. So you're very supportive of the housing bond then? Oh, yes, ma'am. The flip side of that coin is the public transit issue that's kind of been kicked back and forth between the city and county. Uh, What do you think should be the future of public transportation in Wilmington? Well, every we're a growing metropolis, if you will. That's probably a little bit stronger than what we really are. But people, just for a moment, think about if you're if you run in a household and you've got children and you need to buy groceries. Just imagine what it's like to try and get to a grocery store without a car. Um, and taxi cabs are expensive, Uber is expensive. How do you do that? You can't go and buy a week's groceries. You have to go and buy something for tonight. We have food deserts uh, in our city that we're working hard to alleviate. But public transportation is, is of utmost importance. And the city has always uh, been four square behind it and funded it along with federal money. The county, on the other hand, has not always been our good partner. But they've come around, and now it's a it's a combined effort because the the county has become parts of the county have become just as urban as the city limits. So it's extremely important. I just the the, the convention center where I was just came from. I sat next to our our new director uh, that came here from Raleigh to run our our transit system, and she's brought a just a breath of fresh air and a dearth of new ideas and what have you. Uh, I feel real strong about the the future of public transportation and like affordable housing. I'm I'm very much an advocate for it and will continue to to speak out on its behalf. So uh, tell me, do you support the quarter cent sales tax that's been proposed? I certainly do. I find that a lot of people are not as 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 opposed to a tax if they know exactly what that tax is going for. So yes, I am in favor of it. Okay, so moving on to public safety. So police accountability has been a major issue these days. So is gun violence. We had that recent shooting at the high school. What, if anything, would you change about the Wilmington Police Department? I don't know that I'd change anything. Uh, we just we just had our 18-year uh, police chief retire, Ralph Evangelist, and he was a crackerjack. He was the best. Donnie uh, Williams, who is our present chief, came up through the ranks from cadet and now he's the police chief. And for the last year, year and a half of Ralph's uh, tenure, he he put Donnie in a position to be kind of almost in charge. And when he left, he highly recommended Donnie to take his place. And we took his advice and we did. And Donnie's a, Donnie's a very fine uh, police officer. Uh, and anytime there's change in any kind of a paramilitary group, there's always going to be a little bit of pushback or, you know, maybe a little bit of heartburn. But it, it goes away. And if it doesn't go away, then then we have to step in. But in this case, Donnie has come in. And, and of course, as soon as he came in, it was a it was a bad show. And I think he's handled it very well. He is uh, he, he he's not one to put up with any shenanigans throughout all the, the unrest that we had here. Um, and any issues that arose in his police department, he's handled it. And he has our full support. And I know there was a move throughout the nation to defund police. We didn't think that was the proper thing to do here. And as a matter of fact, our budget for the police department safety didn't decrease. We actually increased it a very little bit, but it increased. We strive in every way we can to provide them with the training, the, the, the funds, to do the proper training, proper equipment, and 
and I don't know, you can't put a policeman on every corner. Um, but we are, we are way ahead of where we were with violent crime. When it does happen, it's such a, no, a newsworthy and noteworthy happening that it, it captures our imagination. And we can go months and months and months with nothing. That doesn't make it to the paper. It's when it happens bad, and, and it is bad. And with our schools, that's the one place we send our most, our most treasured belonging, or not a belonging, but our children and we expect them to be safe there. And then when this thing happened, it just, it, it just, it, it, people got snapped into reality. And uh, we're going we're gonna to overcome that with the help of the school board, the sheriff's department, our city. So I think we're on the right path, Kelly. Gotcha. So when it comes to police funding, do you see it going up, down, or staying the same in the future? I look at it this way. Uh, they're, not, they're not spendthrifts over there. But we have always provided the funds when they've come and asked for them. And we just don't, you know, we're not like, you know, Uncle Joe in the basement. Here it is. We, we make them justify it and we vet it. And if council, after listening to our staff and, and the, police, the, the police, we feel like it's necessary, we provide it. But as far as defunding the police, uh, you can go up and down our entire council. And I don't think you'll have anybody on there that says we need to defund the police. It's too important. And a lot of the places around the country that have, now they're bringing that funding back. So moving on, I wanted to ask about development. Uh, how much influence or constraint do you think the city should have over development? When a person comes along and wants to build and the zoning ordinance allows that in that particular zoning ordinance, we don't have any say-so over what they build but they all have to go before what we call our technical review committee, and that's when the, the every facet of our town, police, fire, stormwater, uh, solid waste, parks and rec, they're all at this great big table, and they pass that project around, and I mean, it, it's, it, 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 it's, it's like walking a gauntlet. They go through it with a fine-tooth comb. When projects do come along that require a, a Rezoning, generally what we do in 99 out of 100, we do a conditional use permit, and that allows council great latitude in uh, how, how its property is going to be buffered, uh, setbacks, side yards, and all that. So we do have a considerable control over all of that kind of development. So, it, so you're in favor of development, but uh, with some limitations or expectations for yes, how it goes. Yes, ma'am. You know, developers sometimes get a bad rap, but everything that we live in, shop at, go to the grocery store, the doctor, a, a developer built it. Uh, they put their name on the line at the bank, borrowed the money, and built it. So developers are what build our town. And, but, and, and some of them, once in a blue moon, you'll see one that tries to run roughshod over the ordinance, and they can't. They can't do that and get away with it. Growth is something, a city that's not growing is a city that's dying, and uh, we definitely aren't dying. We are not a secret anymore. People are coming in here in droves. Do you want to speak at all to public-private partnerships like River Place? Don't have mine at all. Public-private partnerships are something that's very important. Uh, we do that with the film industry. Uh, we did that with uh, with River Place, and we have put a parking deck back in there that that's going to serve the the residents of River Place. Plus, it it, it provides parking in that down on that riverfront area for shoppers, uh, tourists, what have you. So, public-private partnerships are are ex of extreme importance from where I sit because everything costs, and we have to balance our budget every year by law. So, public-private partnerships are extremely important to me. I wish we I, I wish we do more. 
and I'm right now I'm, I'm struggling to think of some of the examples, but they're there. Um, uh, the Live Nation venue. Perfect. We build that. We hire them to run it. And a lot of people don't know they put up four million dollars. Live Nation did. They also we also contract with them to run Greenfield Amphitheater. I don't know if you've been there, Kelly, but uh, we have two beautiful venues in this town. Live Nation uh, operates a lot of concert venues throughout the country, and they're they're really high on this one. Uh, in fact, just since they've opened in July, they have already requested more dates. All the hoteliers and the restaurants can can attest that when those dates happen, they turn it. And it's a great economic engine, and it's a great venue. And now we don't have to drive to Raleigh or Myrtle Beach to see a you know a name group. They they you know they can drive here. <laughs> drive up wasn't so bad. It was the drive home. After a quick break, we'll return for the second half of Kelly Kenoyer's interview with Charlie Rivenbark. You're listening to the Newsroom. Stay with us. Welcome back to the Newsroom. I'm Ben Schockman, and you're listening to special elections coverage from WHQR Public Media. Up now, my colleague Kelly Kenoyer continues her interview with incumbent candidate Charlie Rivenbark. So the other development is economic development. Can you just share your thoughts on economic development? Sure. The, the city participates with Wilmington Business Development, Wilmington Downtown Incorporated, uh, Southeast, uh, 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 Southeastern North Carolina Commerce. Um, we get a lot of help from those folks, even in Raleigh. We don't provide, I've always been an adv- advocate for giving them more money than we do, but they take what we give them. Uh, WDI has, uh, is, is, is a real success story, with, uh, and they concentrate mostly just on the central business district, whereas WBD brings in you know, manufacturing. Uh, in fact, we're just doing an incentive with them, one of the companies that's already here. Uh, is going to bring in 104 more jobs, paying in the range of 80 to 85 thousand dollars annual. That's that's great news. That's already here. And sometimes you, you, instead of just going out and worrying about bringing in new people, you need to take care of the people that are already here that want to expand or grow their business. And I tell Scott Satterfield, I wish you had one in front of us every every meeting. And the monies that we give is all merit-based, Kelly. For much like Verizon call center when they came here, they were going to put in 12, 1,500 jobs. Well, we promised them $5 million, I believe it was, but they only start getting that money when they hit that 1,500 plateau. The other thing, if you can bring in a manufacturing concern that's going to hire 1,000 people, there's a multiplier of about three and a half. So it's real healthy, and uh, we want people to grow up, go to college, come here to go to college, and stay here. How do you want to address stormwater when issues come up with it around the city? Well, when I served on the council in the 90s, we didn't have a stormwater division. And we had a company uh, from the Midwest come in and do an assessment of our stormwater needs. And when they came back, it was about $270 million that needed to be spent. Well, at that time, we were doing about $5 million a year, which which you you can do the math. We never would catch up. 
So that's when we copied some other cities and, and, and made a stormwater division. And in the early days, it was like if you lived in a, a typical 2,000-square-foot two, house, it was about $12 a, a month. And that stormwater division, they, they do projects all over. We have, uh, I mean, it's just amazing what we've done. And in addition to that, we have tightened up on our stormwater uh, ordinances and when you build now, the company line is your post-construction runoff cannot exceed pre-construction runoff. And we encourage people to use pervious paving for their parking that doesn't get used every day. We have these, they used to say with 500-year storms, we have 500-year storms now once a year. And we're flat here. Once the ground gets saturated, there's nowhere for it to go. I had a gentleman call me one time. He lived in a floodplain, and he wanted to know what the city was going to do about it. I said, well, God put that floodplain there. We didn't, and you built on it. I mean, that didn't satisfy him, but I think all in all, we do a pretty good job out here on, on Water Street. Uh, CFPA, we're in the city, we're redoing the way Water Street is uh, because on a, on a full moon high tide, it comes up on Water Street. Uh, Kelly, I don't know what more we can do we, we, the detention ponds is all based on on math. There is a method to the madness, and uh, and it's certainly not something that we turn a blind eye to. We're aware of it, and uh, we're always working on that. That kind of brings me to this next question. I wanted to ask about environmental issues, climate change, runoff. Mm-hmm. Uh, what role do you think the city should play in addressing some of those environmental problems? Well, every building that we build, and we encourage all of the people that come to us that are building to use lead, you know, lead qualified, every new structure that we have built and every structure that we have renovated or modernized is all lead qualified. You, you know what I'm talking about, don't you? Go ahead and explain it okay. for the audience. Well, well, lead means that <clears throat> everything in that building, all the materials are, are um, environmental friendly, lights go off. There's not light switches where you leave lights on. All the HVAC is is very uh, 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 economy conscious. The insulation is above and beyond. It's not cheap, but uh, they proved to us over the first five or ten years of a project, you made your money back, and it's it's environmentally friendly. In fact, I personally brought forth a resolution uh, severely opposing offshore drilling. I had somebody that was for it, the day we were going to have the vote, he called me trying to twist my arm to, you know, to back off. And, and I said, let me ask you something. If, if, that, if it's out there for 50 years, do you think there'll ever be a, a spill? He said, well, there might be one or two. I said, my point, I can't afford that. I grew up down there, and I've seen what's happened in California. There's one going on right now. That's not what we want for our pristine coast, and I'll always be against uh, any kind of oil drilling or tankers or whatever coming in here. It just, it's, there's too much of a chance that something could happen. Climate change, I've not been one that's uh, anti-climate change. I certainly see more storms, uh, more severe weather. And those storms, we, ju- we were just talking about storm water. Um, they come in and they dump water, and uh, we really have nowhere to put it. So whatever we need to do, uh, maybe to support our federal government uh, in some of the things that they're doing for climate change. And hopefully, you know, the pendulum may start to swing back the other way where the climate change is not as severe as, as, some, as some say it is, the people that are way smarter than I am. Hmm. Right. 
This is, uh, I think, my last question for you. Um, I'm just going to throw some words out there and get your reaction. So social justice and diversity, equity and inclusivity. What do you think the city should be doing in relation to these concepts? Well, before we get started on that, I I think that some of those words are kind of like there's there's hidden meanings in those words. I believe in equality. I'm not so sure that I'm all about equity at the end. I still think that it's that you need to get out and do some things on your own. So I think sometimes people get so used to being spoon-fed, it becomes an entitlement or a right. Uh, I'm not of that ilk. I think that what the city is doing with our Rise Above initiative, I'm proud of that. I voted for it. And I want to do anything that we can to make people understand that everybody has the same rights as everybody else. And I've asked, is there anything that I can go do or my grandson can go do that everybody can't do? It's it's all out there, but sometimes you just got to want to do it and and get out there and roll your sleeves up. I was just the other night over at uh, the Under 40 Awards, and some of those people of color were in there, and they have done amazing things amazing things. And and I would like to put them in a room and say, how'd you do it? How did you get here? You know, th- those are the ones that, 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 that ought to be out on the, on the front lines in the schools and telling these kids how to do it. I sometimes have an issue when people of color want to, it, it, took, it took America a long time, a lot of America a long time to get their head wrapped around Martin Luther King, a great man a great, great man, and and I'm stuck on the content of your character and still am, and sometimes I'm afraid that the, that the, the BLM movement is moving away from that and going to strictly the color of your skin. Black lives do matter. All lives matter. But the exclusive, the critical race theory is something that's wasted on me. Hmm. It really is. Gotcha. Okay. Um, any closing thoughts you'd like to share or uh, maybe outline your vision for the city? Well, I think the vision of the city is, is kind of like a continuation of where we are. The city of Wilmington is in excellent shape. Uh, I thought that the budget that we did this past year was going to be a tough one because of the pandemic. We balanced our budget, which we have to. That's We pat ourselves on the back, but that's law. But during all that, we increased our bond rating, and that that makes a huge difference that a lot of people don't understand. If we have to go out and borrow money, the interest rate we pay can turn into hundreds of thousands of dollars. And with a lower, but with a higher bond rating, we pay a lower interest. We built the backbone of our cross city trail, and we're building the the tentacles that go out. Uh, we're we're improving some of our intersections. It, it's just it's a bright day for the city of Wilmington. I hear people sometimes on the campaign trail, so they've got new and better ideas. And and I I told somebody I said I hear that, but I hadn't heard the first one. You know what are they? I'm real proud of, of where the city has been, and I'm I'm really excited about where we're going. And I want to be a I want to continue to be a part of that success story. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate your Kelly, time. Kelly, it was a treat. All right, well, that's just about all the time we have for this special elections edition of the Newsroom. I want to thank the candidates on today's show, Philip White and Charlie Rivenbark, and thanks also to my colleague Kelly Knoyer and our technical team, Ken Campbell and Jonathan Furnell. 
Throughout the rest of this month, we'll have a lot more interviews for a total of eight candidates from the Wilmington City Council and a head-to-head -head contest for the mayor's seat. You can catch these episodes every Friday in October at noon with rebroadcasts each following Sunday. And as always, you can find the show on whqr.org and as a podcast pretty much everywhere you can find podcasts. If you have thoughts or comments about today's program or ideas for a future show after the elections, email us at newsroom at whqr.org. And just a reminder, absentee and one-stop voting are now open, so go out and vote. I'm Ben Schockman. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us for the next edition of The Newsroom.